Welcome to the Inclusive Education Project. I'm Vicki Brett. I'm Amanda Salohi. We're two civil rights lawyers on a mission to change the conversation about education, civil rights, and modern activism. Each week, we're going to explore new topics which are going to educate and empower others and give them a platform to enact change in education and level the playing field. Welcome back, friends. We are in spooky season. We're kind of getting here in California. It's kind of been foggy. Um, I mean, it's still like... Oh, it's been so foggy by me. Like yeah, every yeah, morning. Yeah, then it burns off, right? But it's still yeah. spooky, so that's fun. Yeah. So one week away from Halloween, I just realized that I, I was wondering why, and it was like, oh, uh, teacher conference day on November 1st. And I was like, that's such uh, a random day, like to have. And then the other no. I was just like looking at the whole calendar. I was like, oh my God, they don't want any of these kids at school. <laughs> No, Yay! no. Isn't that nuts? I didn't even like know that districts did that. So anyway, I'll be. That's uh, that's why out of office I, on November first. Uh, I wish why. my kids' school did that. We do not, definitely do not have that. Isn't they that so are funny. Back in school. I mean, I didn't want to deal with a bunch of sugared up. I mean, kids, I don't. I, I don't want to deal with one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Go to school. Go to school. Anyway. <laughs> Yeah, so we have a really interesting guest. Amanda, didn't you see a presentation? Yes, yes. So Julia was at our council meeting. This was back in the spring. And she did a presentation. And what I, like, immediately in the presentation, I thought, we need to have her on the podcast. Because what I loved about it was that we talk a lot about assessments and how standardized assessments are not always the best tool to really determine what a child's needs are or how those needs impact them in the classroom for a number of reasons. We've like gone on tangents about them, but what they, she shared about learning stories and we kind of know what learning stories are, but I think going deeper into not only what are learning stories, but how they can be used as an assessment tool was something that really jumped out on me because I, I don't really see schools doing this, but it seems like it's such a, um amazing, like different type of tool that could be used. And so Julia, we're just so happy to have you on to kind of talk more. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. This is literally my favorite topic to talk about is learning. <laughs> <laughs> so can you tell us a little bit about you, your background, and then we'll just get right into it. Yes. So thank you. I am Julia Kumbasa. My current role is the professional development director for a company called Educa, and we are the first and only software platform that's created specifically for learning stories. And I run, we have a virtual academy that's all training and professional development for early childhood folks. But my history in early childhood and with learning stories goes way back. Um, Over 25 years ago, I started in the field of early childhood and I have pretty much done every role. But the last 15 years, I was a director of early childhood programs. And in that time, became very obsessed with learning stories and how powerful they are in empowering young children, giving us new and wonderful and beautiful perspectives on the child and their competencies and their strengths. 
I think for both parents and for teachers, and I also am a parent who had the honor of having my children in a program that wrote learning stories. And some of those stories transformed my own perspective on my child. And I will add, too, that I've been to New Zealand a few times now to learn more about learning stories, see how they're implemented there. And yeah, it's just it's truly an obsession now. <laughs> I, bet, oh, I love that. You know, yeah, and I think, you know, just the culture, like in many different cultures, right, and in indigenous tribes and things like that, you know, the power of storytelling, I mean, it's been around for centuries, right? We would sit yeah. around a fire and that's, you know, we would share stories and to a certain extent, we, we still, you know, have that. But I think it, it's so powerful of a tool that we sometimes don't use like we should. So just yeah, this topic to discuss yeah. is, is going to be really, yeah. really interesting. So Julia, when you presented to our council, you gave such a wonderful kind of background on learning stories, what they are, kind of where they come from and our cultural kind of like history of it. Obviously, we have, you know, a shortened time here, but I'd love for you to give just like a brief overview of that because I think our listeners would love to hear that. Yes. So learning stories were first developed in the early childhood programs in New Zealand by two amazing women, Dr. Margaret Carr and Wendy Lee. But really, you have to know the history of New Zealand's early childhood programs. And like you said, we're limited on time. But New Zealand is the first country in the world to have a bicultural early learning framework for their whole country that is reflective of both the Maori perspective and the traditional or the European settlers perspective. And this kind of coming together was part of the learning stories history um, because learning stories grew out of these, as you said, indigenous ways of knowing out of the Maori culture of storytelling. And really as humans, story is just a huge part of who we are as human beings. We use story to pass down our cultures, our histories, our traditions, but learning stories were really reflective of these indigenous ways of knowing and just started to become implemented in their early childhood programs. Can you talk a little bit about how learning stories are kind of used, not just to teach, but to really assess and kind of evaluate kids? Yes. So learning stories have a very specific format, and there's three parts to a learning story. The first is the story itself, what happened, what you observed. And then the next part is the what's the interpretation. So and the fun thing is you can kind of change those headings for each section in a learning story. But typically that second section is where the writer or the teacher makes an, an interpretation of what they observed and what they think that means for the child. And then the last part is what's called the opportunities and possibilities. So kind of now that we've made this observation and we have an idea of what we think this means, means, how are we going to stretch the learning? How are we going to build on that competency that we're seeing? So the other really cool thing about learning stories is it's your assessment tool, your observation tool, and it's also your planning tool. So it's really everything in one. Yeah, which I think is important because I think what's missing in a lot of assessments often what we see is kind of more depth. We get 
like numbers on a rating scale. And that's really it, right? And so what I love about this kind of approach is that you're looking more at the child, like, I don't want to say holistically, but like more as a whole of like the way their brain is working and operating, right? Yes. And learning stories are always strengths-based. So they're always focused Mm -hmm. on some capability, some strength about the child. And so they're very positive and empowering. And they're also just a wonderful reflection tool for educators. And the other thing that's so amazing is that In traditional assessment where we're just marking boxes, and I know the way that I was trained as a teacher to do assessment was to be very objective, to not put my interpretations or my feelings in there anywhere. Um, But the beauty of learning stories is the teacher is part of the story. And our children's teachers are such an important part of their lives. They should be a part of the story. Mm -hmm. That's just inclusive, right? And fun. (laughs) It's just another tool um, that people can easily connect to. I mean, there's when you see somebody um, that is a great storyteller, you want to hear more stories from them. And to be able to have that or even work on that as a skill as as a teacher, I I would assume it, it may come more naturally to most, right? So it's not, you know, heavy heavy training on like, this is how you, you know, dissect the story. It's kind of yes. like, oh, you know, use a little bit of yourself, right? Um, yes, when definitely. you are sharing these stories. Yeah. And I think that's kind of the cool thing too. I know when I was a director, I could read learning stories without knowing who wrote it because everyone sort of has their own voice and their own style. And you could see mm-hmm. that reflected in the story. And what's wonderful too is as a child being able, you know, we have such wonderful imaginations and some of us carry that into adulthood, but you know, you're not, you're almost not realizing you're learning, right? Just Mm -hmm. a story that's being told by my teacher. And I love that you also mentioned that it's strength-based, right? Um, We've seen social stories a lot used by speech and language pathologists, like, oh, you know, he's um, needing to understand like the etiquette of, you know, using the restroom, like, well, let's do a social story. You know, we've seen it in that context. What are some of the ways in your training and as you're talking about it, that, that you can share that teachers are able to kind of um, integrate this into their classroom setting? So typically the recommendation is, and in the work that I do with programs using learning stories is that, mm-hmm. Part of it is there's a space in the story for the family to respond. So I ask the family and by family, I don't just mean the parents. Sometimes grandparents write a response. Sometimes siblings write a response and those all Mm -hmm. get added to the story. And then the stories are printed and they're put in a book that is in the classroom on a shelf that's accessible to the children. And we do this from infants through young fives, or I think you call it TK in California, Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. the stories are theirs and they're accessible to them at any time. And the amazing thing that I witness is that whenever there's a guest in the classroom, maybe Mm -hmm. a substitute teacher, the first thing children do is they run and grab their books of learning stories to share with that person. Mm -hmm. 
Yes, because they have such a sense of pride in it. And it's really a reflection Mm -hmm. of them and who they are. Yeah. And I think it shows so much more like, so we always see that like a lot of times assessments where there might be like asterisks or problems is, well, the child wasn't really motivated. They didn't have the buy-in. They weren't attentive or, you know, there was attention or behavioral problems. And like, I see learning stories as a way to really engage kids a lot more than the traditional assessment. So in reality, you are getting the best of that kid in that moment better than you would these traditional assessments, because you are getting more engagement and buy-in because I think as was mentioned, it's not, it doesn't seem to them as much like, oh, this is a test. Yes, exactly. And it really is, you know, the people writing the stories know them so well. They see them. They feel seen and they feel proud of who they are. I think it also can help children in certain situations give them language to advocate for themselves. So particularly with children with special needs or who were working through some challenging behavior, writing a story about where we see strengths and where we see progress can be a way to sort of help empower them even more, to give them language to what's going on for them. And like you said, a a sense of pride in oneself that because a lot of students will have a different teacher the next year, like how wonderful would that be to bring that story to that teacher, right? Um, We oftentimes uh, tell parents, hey, your child has an IEP, you know, this teacher is brand new to you. And, you know, Mm -hmm. if you put together something, you know, in elementary school, the, the parent is maybe putting together, you know, a quick letter and then, you know, the child can do a piece of art. And by the time we get to middle school, high school, depending on the child and their needs, we really ask the child, hey, like, what is it that you feel that you need in a classroom environment that this teacher might not necessarily know? And for the child to write the letter to the teacher and then to email it out. Um, But how wonderful would it be to have a story even as young as five and to be able to reflect back and look on or use as a piece of, like you said, advocacy for oneself uh, in in having that pride. I, I love that idea because I feel like four and five-year-olds have such a, you know, identity of themselves. Like you see their personality. You can kind of see who they'll be, right? Um, so they have a little piece of themselves that they can look back on, I think is also like goes to that whole kind of big storytelling and just kind of yes grandiose way of kind of looking at you know our lives as an adventure fairy tale Uh (laughs) to kind of romanticize it a bit (laughs) yeah and definitely the programs that use learning stories those books of the children's stories will be carried with them through each different classroom or as they're moving up and even (laughs) in New Zealand some of the programs that I visited when the children leave what they call kindergarten is actually preschool Um, but when they leave there to go to the primary school some of them have a special day where they get to take their book of learning stories over to their new school to share them with their new teachers. And it's just such a beautiful and lovely way to transition, to say, this is who I am from the perspective of all the important adults in my life. So if parents wanted more information or any of the teachers or administrators that 
listen, where can they get more information about learning stories and the programs and the curriculum surrounding it? So I, as part of my work with Educa, I do trainings. I do sort of like introduction <laughs> to learning stories trainings. I go all over the country to do trainings on learning stories and virtually. There's a million things you can Google. Um, you can Google <laughs> Wendy Lee, the founder of Learning Stories, has her own website through her organization, Educational Leadership Project. And she even has sample learning stories from all over the world on her site. And then actually in the United States, we have a new nonprofit organization called SALSA, which stands oh. for Supporting the Advancement of Learning Stories in America. And it was founded by Dr. Annie White, who is an associate professor at USC Channel Islands. Oh, cool. So there's a really big learning story community in California, which is amazing. And we do, I partner with Salsa every year on their Learning Stories Conference. So we have a national conference now that we just completed our sixth year. And next year, the conference will be in California. So yes, there's lots of amazing resources out there. I'm happy to include my email in the show notes if anybody wants to reach out. That was going to be my next question if they wanted to reach out to you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, if you want to say it and then we'll include it in the show notes as well. (laughs) Yes, it's very easy. It's julia at geteduca.com. Love it. Thank you so much, Julia, for coming on and having a little chat with us about learning stories. It's definitely something that we see value in. We hope people do as well. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. And to our listeners, we hope you check that out. If you are a teacher or a school and you want to know more about how you can incorporate this into your IEPs or you're a parent and you want to bring this to your school board, we so encourage it because, you know, we're always looking for these outside of the box or I wouldn't necessarily call us outside the box because it's been going on for a long time, but I think outside of the box to our traditional IEP process, you know, because better ways to assess kids is always going to be the best put forward. So we hope you guys enjoyed this episode and you take a look to learn more. Thanks everybody. Talk to you later. Bye.